This morning, I want to talk about final words. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, as we talk about Jesus' final words. This has been an emotional week for the whole town of Springdale, and really all of Northwest Arkansas. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, Kyler Williams, a senior at Springdale High School, died in an automobile accident a week ago. Kyler, number three on the Springdale varsity football team, was gone in an instant. It didn't matter that he had a life in front of him that included graduation, prom, scholarship opportunities for college. It didn't matter that he was a quality guy on and off the field. He was simply gone. I remember back to my high school days myself, and shortly after my sophomore year, a young man by the name of Jeremy Ball, star soccer player, was in the band, and in a moment, he was gone. It didn't matter what he had done and how good he was, he was gone. And all those memories were brought back up as, as I watched what was going on in Springdale. But what was so exciting was to see a community gather around a family and around a school. This week was full of goodbyes for number three, culminating in a very emotional time at the harbor Springdale football game this past Friday evening. Temple and I knew that we were going to have to get there early simply because it was the in-town rivalry. Anytime you put both Springdale and Harbor in the same stadium, it's full. Just like Rogers Heritage is full here, it's just everybody wants to come together. They see people. For those of you who are longtime Rogers people that now have kids that are in Heritage, that's weird. And it's weird for me as an old Springdale guy to have kids who are in Harbor but that's the way things are, and that's the way things go. So you come together, and it's a celebration of the town. And this Friday night, though, was a lot different. Because this town was coming together to heal from one of its losses. When we arrived, we saw a sea of red. Harbor leadership had called for a red out to honor Kyler and his family, and I was so happy to hear that schools all around the area had chosen to follow suit. There was a red out in honor of number three. A red out for this young man and his family. After the players had warmed up, both teams came to the center of the field and knelt next to one another. There were no bulldogs, no wildcats in those moments. There was only one city. Dr. Rollins spoke to the players midfield and when he was done, you saw the players raise their hands together with the number three. And I could tell you, in that stadium full of people, you could hear a pin drop. It was a moment unlike any other. Before the game got underway, there was a video tribute to honor Tyler, or Kyler. And then the Harbor Band went and stood in front of Springdale Band, and together, as if one city, one band, they played the national anthem under the direction of my old band director, Ms. Pat Ellison. Now, as the teams made their way onto the field, the Bulldogs walked arm in arm out together. Now, at this point, I thought the tribute was over, but there was still one more to come. Springdale took the field on its first possession with only 10 players. The 11th man 
ran that pass route to Kyle. Well, I'm sure that both teams had discussed this, it was still a powerful scene to know Kyler would never touch another football. You see, life is brief and should be embraced. Now, why do I share the story? One, because it impacted me deeply to be there, to see how a whole town gathered around a family and around a school. In that moment, there, there were no wildcats or bulldogs. There was just one town. It was an incredibly moving experience. The other reason that I share this story this morning is because it makes me think about final words. What were Kyler's last words to his family, to his friends, to his teammates? Well, I don't know what they were. I'm sure that his family has thought often about those words. Did those words hold any special significance? Were they words of love or, or hate? Some of Kyler's final statements came in the moments as a player. He played hard, sought excellence on and off the field. Before the game began, in the video tribute, one of the coaches said, I had the opportunity to coach Kyler on his first play and his last play. His life made a statement. His words made a statement. Those were his final statements. You know, I think about my dad's final words. While we had no expectation of my father passing away back in 2010, it was as if subconsciously he knew as he spent time in the hospital uh, the days before his death, he shared some powerful final words with me. He told me that he loved me, that he was proud of me, and that I should take care of my mother if anything was to happen. I cherish those words and thank God that we had those final days together. See, there was nothing left unsaid. I have those final words that I can think back on, that I can look at. And I know that my dad loved me, he was proud of me, and I have a job to do. And me and my brother are supposed to take care of that lady. You know, today is my final time to preach here at Temple Church. I'll still be leading worship and teaching this week, but today marks the last time that I'll stand in the pulpit and share from the word as one of your pastors. As I thought about what my final words to you would be, I realized that while I hope you remember a, a few things that I said, there's nothing more powerful than Jesus' final words. Even the words that I would hope you remember are simple adaptations of things Jesus said. If I ask our students, and those a little bit older, hopefully they can remember, what are the three things? Love God, love people, and make disciples. Those are words that I try to live my life by, but those are simply adaptations of what Jesus said. For nearly a decade, I've encouraged our students in this church to embrace those truths. And for the past several weeks, our pastor has been sharing with us from the Upper Room Discourse. It's a portion of scripture where the, the Apostle John relays to us some of the final words that Jesus shares with his disciples. He speaks of what it is to lead, to serve, to love, to pray, and to truly follow God. It's that subject of last words that I want to speak to you today. It is a powerful passage of scripture that we should go back to on a regular basis to be reminded of what Jesus thought was important as we think about that upper room discourse. I think that Jesus' followers were 
that were in attendance thought back often to those final words that Jesus shared. This morning, I want us to look at Jesus' final, final words, if we want to call them those. What did Jesus leave his followers with? What was, was it a statement of belief? Was it a detailed plan for how to win the world? Well, what was it? It was simply words of promise. Let's look in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11 this morning, as we look at the final words of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, and they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that he saw you go, saw him go into heaven. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do in our lives. I thank you so much for Temple Church, for our partnership and ministry. I thank you for, for the friends that I have here, for the family that I have here. God, you have been so good to me. This has been such a special time. And Father, I just ask that as, as we go forward, we always look to you. We always look to your word for help, for hope. And Father, as we look at your word this morning, just uh, be with us, guide us, and show us the truths that you want us to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, this morning we are talking about the final words of Jesus. We're talking about final words of promise. We're going to be honing in on one verse out of this passage this morning. We're looking at verse 8. Now, many of us that have been in um, God's youth conferences, if we've gone to all sorts of events, we've seen Acts 1-8 listed in there. And there the Bible says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. But in that short little statement, in those short little, those words, we find hope. We find promise. And that's what I want us to focus in on today. We find four promises that we're going to look at. The first is a promise of power. What does the Bible say? It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I want you to think about Jesus' audience, the men that he was speaking to. These are men who had lived in a country under subjugation. They had no real power in their society. They were the leaders of their homes, but that was about it. They weren't able to affect much. These were men that had very little, and they saw their chances at power as non-existent. But Jesus was saying to them, but you will receive power. These were also men who had seen Jesus wield real power and in their mind 
they were about to have nothing because Jesus was going away. He was leaving. He was departing. He was no longer going to be there. But Jesus was saying, it's all right. You will receive power. These were also men who were having a connection to God. No way. They were going to feel alone. They were going to feel powerless. But Jesus offers these final words. He says, you will receive power. What do I mean by power? Well, I'm not talking about the power to rule nations. I'm not talking about having the power over people to tell them to do something and go somewhere. I'm talking about the power of God in their life. If you've ever tasted that, if you've ever had that as a part of, of your existence, then you know what it's all about. If you've watched God work and transform lives, you've watched God work in people that were, <laughs> that were the vilest of sinners become changed. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to work in people's lives. And he was telling his disciples right here and right now that that was going to be a very real part of their life. We sing about power. We sing the, the power of the cross. And we sing there is power in the blood. And we know that real power comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. It was real. But for these men that were standing there looking at Jesus, they were wondering what they were going to do, how life was going to work for them. And Jesus gives them a promise. And he says, you will receive power. A couple other passages that speak about the power is Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This power was going to be the power that we're going to see, that was going to see the world changed. He was letting these men know the power was going to come and it was going to be there. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So God was going to use his power to see people saved. He was going to use his power to bring people hope. If we look on in the first few books or a few chapters of Acts, we see thousands of people accept Jesus Christ because of the power that Jesus sent into the world. Would they receive power? Yes, they would. Jesus had promised that for them. He gave them the promise of power. The second promise was that of a partner. Jesus had said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know, a partner can make all the difference in the world. My wife and I have been married 23 years. We talked about that in Sunday school class today. We also talked about how the first three years, we thought we were going to kill each other, but we made it through. And now, 23 years later, God has blessed our marriage and made us an even stronger partnership as we reach out and touch people's lives try to impact for the kingdom. That's a partnership. I don't know what I would do without her. I know there will come a day when one of us won't be here. And I see that as a very hard time in my future. Because a partner is a powerful, powerful thing. Partners in marriage are incredible. There's also these partners in ministry. For the past two years, almost over two years, Wayne and I have got to be partners in ministry. 
that's been a privilege that I never thought would happen. When you go separate ways from Bible college and when you start missing each other, I went to seminary and graduated and left and then he came to seminary and then he was there and then he left, but then he went to the Philippines and then for 12 years we were apart. And you never think, well, I'd love to serve with my friend, but that'll just never happen. But together, we've had that partnership. Brother Ron and I had a partnership here at the church. The other pastors that I've served with, the pastor that I'm about to serve with, I'm hopeful for a partner in ministry because you can't do it by yourself. For so long, we sent missionaries out by themselves. I'm not really sure why. But now the missions office understands the power of sending out a partner, sending out a team, because there's more power together. There's also partners in business, and you may have those or been involved with those. And usually, I say usually, that can be a powerful thing. And it can work to the benefit of the company and to everyone involved sometimes partnerships are hard all across the board whether it's in marriage business or ministry they can be hard but when we have the partner of the Holy Spirit our life is made easier because he has come to help to hope bring hope and bring us guidance in those things that we need in John 14 16 the Bible says and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever the Holy Spirit is there to be our helper to help give us guidance and to be a part of who we are. As many of you know, I took coach training last September. Christian coaching is a little bit different from secular coaching in that we know and expect the Holy Spirit to be a part of that process. So that when I have a conversation, a coaching conversation with somebody, it's not just me and that person. It's me, that person, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if that person is a believer, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit's still there because I'm involved in that process. The Holy Spirit is sent to us to be a helper. It's also sent to us to be a teacher. In John 14, 26, the Bible says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit was sent so that they would understand what Jesus had shared with them and what Jesus had taught with them. I love the fact that our WANA ministry and our student ministry over the years have encouraged our students and kids to memorize Scripture. Because what happens when you need it? The Holy Spirit brings to mind those things that are a part of your heart in your study. So I want to encourage you, even if you're over the age of 18, to keep memorizing Scripture. Because God can work in that and use that. Think, well, I, I can't anymore. I can barely remember my address and phone number. But let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will use that time of memorization to help you know what you need to do and what you need to be. The Holy Spirit is also constantly with us. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, the Bible says, Or do you not know that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. Your body is that temple for the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand that Jesus promises a partner for us. He promises us power, and he promised his disciples power, but he also promised them 
apart. The days ahead were going to be lonely for these disciples. They were going to face persecution. They were going to face difficulty. But he said, don't worry. I'm sending someone with you. The Holy Spirit can be there with us. I know that in years past, we as Baptists almost shy away from the Holy Spirit, thinking that we talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Scripture, but not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a major part of our lives and should be to help guide us, direct us. When we're faced with difficulties, we should lean into the Holy Spirit and ask God to work through us so that we can know what we need to do, what we need to be. Well, he gives us two other promises, and as we work through this this morning, I want us to see that he also gives his disciples a promise of a purpose. In verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. God has left us in the world for a reason. I know that these disciples were probably saying, "What? Well, just take me. Let me go with you. I want to be with you. But Jesus will say to them, You have a job. You have a responsibility. You need to be here because this is what I've called you to do. I wonder how easy or how nice it would be if once we're saved, just in that moment, we're immediately whisked off to heaven. But that hasn't been his plan. And it doesn't, that plan is not changing. We are his witnesses. And we have been given a purpose. Mark chapter 16, verses 12 through 16. The Bible says, After that he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. And they went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. And afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, and who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Matthew also shares a familiar passage that mirrors that one. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission. We have been given a purpose we are not to be pew warmers. We are not just to be students. We have been given a purpose, and that is to share the gospel with the world. We are to proclaim how great our God is. We are to proclaim what Jesus has done in our lives. And if we refuse to do that, we're not fulfilling the purpose that he has given each and every one of us. The final promise that we find in this uh, passage of Scripture is a promise of a plan. As I look at uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through, or verse 8, it says, And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the world. God wants to impact our world, and in this one verse, He gives us direction and He gives us a plan. I remember back in, um, well, 98, 97, I've kind of lost track. Brother Jack Courtney was the head of interstate, uh, our interstate missions department for the BMA of America. 
and he released a video. And I don't know if Wade, Joanna remember the video or if you guys ever saw it, but Brother Jack was carried about his desire for 2,000 churches by the year 2000. And in that video, he shared this, this passage of Scripture over and over and over because of this plan to reach Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and to reach the end of the earth. As we look at this, we need to understand that Jerusalem was their city, their town. We have a responsibility. This church has a responsibility to reach Rogers, Arkansas, and then your own Jerusalem. Where do you live? What's your neighborhood like? Your workplace, your school, all of those are your Jerusalem, where you're at. And God has called us to be a witness in those places to tell them about Jesus Christ. Temple Church has a responsibility because Scripture says that we have a responsibility to reach Rogers. Then if you go out from there, you look at Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. I think about our own association of churches. We have our local church, and then we have our local association. We have a state association and a national association. And in that way, we're reaching further and further out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God calls us, and he's given a plan to whereby we can reach the world. And it's a simple plan. Just start at home. Start telling your family about Jesus. Then tell your neighbor about Jesus. Then tell your neighbor's neighbors about Jesus. But we don't do that. We think somebody else is going to take care of it. We think somebody else is going to do it. That It's just not something that I have to worry about. I pay a pastor to do it. Or I've got a friend who has the gift of evangelism, and they'll be sure and tell everybody. But each of us have a responsibility to reach out. Besides the direction from this verse, God calls us to discern what our plan is for reaching the area. One of the things that I love about the Activate process is that's a part of this. As this church looks at health, a healthy church is reaching out. It will be reaching out to the community and reaching out to the world. But as we look at this verse of Scripture, we understand that God has given a promise of a plan. He's given a promise of a purpose. He's given a promise of a partner. And he's given a promise of power. We cannot ignore the final words that Jesus shared. You know, I wish I had great final words but I can't, you can't top what Jesus told them to do and what he promised them. You know, I think back to the final words that I heard from my father. They were powerful for me. They should move me forward. However, if I just sit around and meditate on them and don't do anything, they're of little significance. The same is true with Jesus' words. His words of promise should move us to change the world. The promise of power, a partner, a purpose, and plan too often we become like Christ followers that stood looking into the heaven after he departed. We aren't to stay there. We're to pick up the banner and march forward with the gospel. I love what verses 9 and 12, 9 through 12 say, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up, and while they were looking on, a cloud received him out of their sight, and they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them and also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. 
essentially God had sent men there to say, hey, don't keep looking at the sky. It's time to get busy. Jesus has given us words of promise. Final words of promise. The question is, what do we do with those promises? Do we just say, oh, that's some great knowledge. Thank you, Dan. Stick them in our back pocket, and then we carry them on. Oh, okay, I, I, Dan said something about having power. Okay, well, that's good. I can have power in Christ. No, we take these promises, and we go from this place, and we change the world because that's what God is calling us to do. This morning, we're going to conclude our time with a time of, of worship and a time of commitment. If God is calling you to make a decision or a commitment, I encourage you to follow his leadership. And perhaps he is speaking to you today to embrace the promises that Jesus made to his followers and to go out and change the world. Maybe it's just a, a matter of you need to come to this altar and you need to say, okay, God, I've been silent too long. I have not been proclaiming your good news to the nations. I haven't been proclaiming your good news to the people in my own house. And when we kneel, we ask for forgiveness for what we haven't done, and we seek to commit our lives to what God would have us do, God is honored. We will be. We do this. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for this time, for a chance for us to, to worship together, to study together. And I just ask that in these next moments, that you'll help us to, to worship and to see you and proclaim, to proclaim you to the nations. Help us to be strong for you. Help us to lean into your promises. In Christ's name we pray.